Our sermon text is the Gospel reading this morning, as it normally is. But I want to make a comment. Before we get into that, I want to make a comment about the Epistle reading. That's on page 9. I read just a few moments ago. You'll notice verse 17 of 1 Thessalonians 4. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them, meaning those who had died previously in the Lord and raised, caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, so we will always be with the Lord. Now the idea here is not that Christ is descending from heaven to gather us and then do a U-turn and go back into heaven. That's not what the text is saying. Christ is coming down from heaven. We will be caught up in the air to meet him, to accompany him back to earth for the last judgment. That's what's being described here. Note, in our gospel reading for this morning, the the virgins go out to meet the bridegroom, not to go somewhere else, but to accompany him back to the wedding feast. That's the idea. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, when he approached Jerusalem, before he even got there, many people went out to meet him, not to go some other place, but to accompany him back to Jerusalem. That's the idea. He's not disappearing. He's not coming from heaven to do a U-turn. He's coming from heaven, and we will meet him in the air and accompany him back for the final judgment. Well, he will separate the nations as a shepherd separates sheep from goats. That's the idea. We bow our heads and pray. Dear Heavenly Father, bless your word to our hearts this day and every day. Encourage us always in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so... From April 1961, that's when the first man went into space, a Russian cosmonaut, Yuri Gagarin. From April 1961 all the way through March 2023, 652 people had flown into space. And 19 of them have died. 15 astronauts and 4 cosmonauts. So the current statistical fatality rate for traveling into space is about 3%. About 3% of those die. So my question is this. What is the most dangerous part of a space flight? Do you know? The blast-off is that's pretty dangerous. But it's the re-entry. The re-entry is the most dangerous part of the flight. For this reason, if the spacecraft comes in at too steep of an angle, it'll burn up. Because hitting the atmosphere at that speed, at like 20,000 miles an hour or something like that, it's like hitting a wall. The friction will just burn up the spacecraft, no matter what it's made out of. But if the spacecraft comes in at too shallow of an angle, It'll skip off the atmosphere as a stone skips across a lake when you you throw a flat stone. And the astronauts will freeze to death or die from lack of oxygen, whichever comes first. And the point is this. The spacecraft gets only one chance to enter, to come home, 
successfully, just one chance. It has to be at the perfectly correct angle and speed to do so. No second chance. Now back in the, uh, I think it was maybe 1970, I took the SAT exam, the Scholastic Aptitude Test. <laughs> and uh, it, was, it was a big deal. You t just took it once. I don't know why. I mean, people today take it over and over again to improve their scores. But back then, we just took it one time. And I did okay on it. I mean, it's, it's a big event. It has a bearing on your future where you go to college. And one of my best friends in high school did miserably poor on it. And he was devastated. He was devastated because nobody took it over. You had one shot. There was no second chance. Our gospel lesson for today concerns the return of the Lord. And scripture does not speak about the returns, plural, of the Lord, as if there are more than one. Scripture speaks of the return, singular, of the Lord. He's returning only once, and that means those of us who will greet him have only one chance, one opportunity to welcome him properly. There are no do-overs. There's no second chance. And how you welcome him reveals who you are and what you are. When he appears, will you run toward him in welcome? Or will you flee from him in shame? Roman number one in your sermon outline. How you welcome him does not determine or cause your salvation. Rather, it reveals it. It reveals it. It makes it plain. I believe it was Haywood Hale Broom, the sports writer many years ago, who wrote, sports do not build character, they reveal it. Now, in my opinion, sports can build character as well, but sports certainly reveal character. They certainly do. Your response to a situation, no matter what it is, your response says more about you than the situation itself. So, letter A, the bridegroom in our gospel reading represents Jesus, and I, I list several passages there which... Uh, Christ himself speaks of himself as a bridegroom, and Paul does too in Ephesians 5. And letter B, the ten virgins represent all those who claim Christ as Lord. Those are the ten virgins. It's the church. And I list some passages there, 2 Corinthians 11, verse 2. Paul writes to the Christians in Corinth, I betrothed all of you to one husband to present you all as a pure virgin to Christ. But point number one, not everyone called to the wedding feast will share in it. Not everyone called will share in it. To those five virgins who did not bring extra oil, the bridegroom will say truly, Amen, I say to you, I do not know you. 
Now, that, that's a shocking statement. Those five who were shut out of the feast looked no different than the five who were let in. In fact, I'm sure they were friends, they were acquaintances of those who were let in. They were associates of them. And yet the bridegroom didn't even know them? How can that be? Well, point number two, the bridegroom's delay, his delay will reveal the foolishness of some and the wisdom of others. The foolish virgins presumed to know what was unknowable. They presumed there would be no delay in the bridegroom's return. They assumed he would return sooner rather than later. Hence, they assumed no need for extra oil. They thought they had this. The wise virgins did not presume to know anything. They thought on the one hand, the bridegroom might return soon. On the other hand, he might return later. They did not know. Therefore, they prepared for either outcome by bringing extra oil. In other words, the wise did whatever they had to do to be ready to properly welcome the bridegroom. And they kept their lamps lit. They did whatever they had to do to be ready. Jesus said to his disciples in the Sermon on the Mount, you are the light of the world. Let your light shine before men so they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Now my friends, good works do not make you a Christian. They reveal that you are a Christian. Even hypocrites can do good works when their master's watching. Even they can do good works in the presence of their master. But only authentic servants do good works in the absence of their master. Only they do good works when the master isn't watching. Only authentic servants will be found doing good works when the master unexpectedly appears. Point number three. Among the visible, the visible company of Christ's disciples, that's the visible church, not all will be found to be true followers when he returns. And Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, kind of echoing from our gospel reading, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. The foolish virgins say, Lord, Lord, open to us. But they don't belong. Let her see. His return is so sudden, so unexpected. And after 2,000 years of waiting, people become tired of waiting. They drift off into doing other things. His return is so sudden, you cannot get ready when he returns. You just need to be ready. You need to be ready at all times. So how does that happen? Roman numeral two. The expectation 
The expectation of Christ's return is essential to Christian living. Many Christians today roll their eyes and are suspicious about any talk at all about the return of the Lord because there's so much false teaching surrounding it. You turn on the TV on so-called Christian television, you'll hear all kinds of theological wackos talking about the end times and the return of the Lord. It goes on and on and on. They twist scripture to say things God never imagined. And so it's easy to dismiss any talk at all about the end times. And yet we should never cease talking about it. We should never cease expecting it. Because the Lord's appearing is an essential part of the gospel. It's an essential part of the good news. Luther makes this clear in the small catechism. What's the first chief part of the catechism? It's the Ten Commandments. It's the law of God. SOS, the law shows our sin. It convicts you. Why? Because the way Luther understands the commandments correctly, he understands them the way Jesus does. He applies the commandments not just to the outward actions, but to the heart, your thoughts, your imagination. And we all fall flat. (laughs) We all fall short of the glory of God. That's the bad news. What's the good news? The good news, the second chief part of the catechism the Apostles' Creed. That's all gospel. It's all good news. SOS, it shows our Savior. We confess, I believe in Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven, and he sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, And from thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. That's gospel too. That's good news as well. And it's important for that reason. Letter A. Hypocrites fear it. They fear the return of the Lord. Believers embrace it. We no longer fear it. We embrace it. Hypocrites fear the Lord's appearing because it will reveal, it will expose their hypocrisy. Believers look forward to his appearing. We embrace it because it will reveal our fidelity to Christ. Letter B. In Scripture, Christ's return is always a motivation to action. It's a motivation. The gospel is enablement. It empowers you to do what God demands. The law can't. The law builds resentment if you, if you hear it enough. The gospel of God's undeserved love begets love so that you willingly do what God desires. Christ's return is always a motivation to action, never a reason to cease action. That's evident from verse 4. I'll give you some other scriptures there, but verse 4 of our, of our text. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. Why? Because they knew the bridegroom was coming. They knew it. They didn't know when. That's why they took extra oil, and that proves their devotion to the bridegroom. 
they went out of their way to fill another flask with oil just in case the bridegroom might be delayed. Why? Because they wanted to welcome him properly. They wanted to do that. They did not think twice about inconveniencing themselves in order to give him a proper welcome. And my friends, that is devotion. That is Christian living. To be ready for the Lord's return means that we gladly say no. No one puts a gun to our head. We gladly say no to this world and its ways because we love the bridegroom. It's that simple. We love because he first loved us at the cross. That's it. We willingly say no to our own sinful desires every day because we do not want to dishonor him at his return. We do not want to dishonor the one who by his shed blood redeemed us from an old and futile way of living. Point number one, his words, his words do what they say. His words are, as we've said before, performative speech. His words do things, okay? It's like when a minister says, I now pronounce you husband and wife. In the eyes of the law, that's what they are. It's like when the judge pronounces you guilty or innocent. In the eyes of the law, that's what you are. The words do what they say. When Jesus goes around Galilee saying, repent and believe the good news, people repented and they believed the good news. Why? Because his words do what they say. When Jesus found Peter and Andrew casting their nets into the sea, he said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. What did they do? <laughs> they followed and he made them fishers of men. His words do what they say. Therefore, in verse 13 of our gospel lesson for this morning, when Jesus says, watch, in other words, be vigilant. In other words, keep looking forward to my coming. His words do what they say. They stir us up. They make us more alert. And because we are slothful and weak and forgetful, we need to hear his words often, not just once every three or four months. We need to hear them daily. Jesus said in John 10, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. That's the power of his word. Point number two, some things are better off not knowing. Has that ever occurred to you? Are there some things you wish you just didn't know? <laughs> I can say about it. I can tell you about a few things. It's like that with Jesus. When he said to his disciples in John 16, he said, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. <laughs> you cannot bear them now. My friends, if we could know the day and the hour of our Lord's coming, we would be tempted to put off repentance until the last moment, and, and we would become hypocrites like so many others. But the Lord will not take that risk with you or with me. Therefore, what Jesus has not told us about his coming is every bit as important as what he has told us about it. Letter C. As Christians, and this is a quote from Matthew Henry, a Puritan divine, a wonderful man. As Christians, we profess not only to believe and look for, but 
to live and long for the appearing of Christ, the appearing of Christ, and to act in our whole conversation with a regard to it. We live and long for his appearing. My friends, no Christian should fear the Lord's return. We should look forward to it because his return is another one of God's gifts to you. The gospel is not only that Christ died, risen, and ascended. The gospel is also that Christ is returning. His return is just as important as his death and resurrection because you cannot live the Christian life unless you believe he's coming back. The reason why so many don't live the Christian life is they've stopped believing or they've forgotten that he's coming back. My friends, if you know he's coming back, you will want to live in a way that is befitting him. We will live in a way that honors him by daily turning away from our sins, daily receiving his mercy and his forgiveness, and then sharing that mercy with those around us. That's the Christian life. The most critical part of any space flight is the homecoming. It is the return, the re-entry. The spacecraft returning home must enter the atmosphere at exactly the correct angle, and it gets only one chance. In the same way, Jesus returns only once, and that means we have only one chance to welcome him in a way that honors him. There are no do-overs. There is no second chance, nor is a second chance needed. It is not necessary because his word alone is all you need to be prepared to meet him and to welcome him aright. His word alone sustains you. The good news of his life, death, and resurrection and return equips you to live in a way that pleases him today. And that same gospel message equips you to stand confidently before him on the last day. My sheep hear my voice, he said. Keep listening. You'll be fine. In Jesus' name. Amen. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Amen.